Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. And may we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Yisrael. Amen. And the Baraka of the Megillah reading, the Megillah reading for Eka. Slika. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kidshana B'Mitzatah B'Tzivano Al Mikra Megillah. Amen. If you would turn to the book of Eka, the book of Lamentations, we are going to um, read the book the, from the third chapter. We're going to conclude the third chapter today. And we're going to find ourselves reading from uh, verse 51 through verse 60, uh, 66, as it were. <clears throat> In verse 51, it begins by saying, My eyes have brought me grief over all the daughters of my city. I have been constantly ensnared like a bird by my enemies without cause. They cut off my life in a pit and threw stones at me. Waters flowed over my head. I thought I am doomed. I called on your name, Adonai, from the depths of the pit. You have heard my voice. Do not shut your ear to my prayer for my relief when I cry out. You always draw near on the day I would call to you, and you said, Fear not. You always champion my cause, Adonai. You redeem my life. You have seen, Adonai, the injustice I suffered. Judge my cause. You have seen all the vengeance, all their designs against me. You have heard their insults, Adonai, all their designs regarding me. The speech and thoughts of my enemies are against me all day long. Look, in everything they do, I am the butt of their taunts. Pay them back their due, Adonai, as they have done. Give them a broken heart, and may your curse be upon them. Pursue them in anger, and destroy them from under the heavens of Adonai. As Ahmed so aptly said, Today is the 17th of Tammuz. Normally, the 17th of Tammuz is a fast day, but because the, this day has fallen on a Shabbat, we never fast on the Shabbat, unless, of course, it's Yom Kippur. As a result, the fast will uh, be transferred, will be observed tomorrow, and the fast tomorrow is from dawn until nightfall. And it is a complete fast, which includes food and water, so... Uh, may you have an easy fast tomorrow and drink lots of water this evening. <laughs> I would like to ex explain just a briefly, and, and this information is found in a great number of places, um, but what, is, what, are the, what do the three weeks commemorate? I mean, we're just going to go through them quickly, and Amet mentioned uh, uh, one of them today. Today is the day in which, upon which Moses broke the tablets that he came down from the mountain and the people were dancing around the golden calf. And because of the sin of the people dancing around the golden calf, 
Moses broke the tablets. Some say that he threw them down, but most of the commentators point out that what happened actually was the weight of the tablets was light as a feather. Before we sinned, before we decided to dance around the golden calf, the law was a light burden. It, it was so, I mean, I want you to think about this moment. These are sapphire tablets that Hashem gave to a very old man who's walking down a mountain carrying these tablets. And because they were so light, he was able to do it. But the moment that we sinned, the letters flew up to heaven, and because the Torah left the stone, the stone took upon itself its true weight. And the weight of the law became heavy because of our sin, and as a result, he dropped them and they broke into a million pieces. Also during this time, the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem, the Jews were forced to cease the offerings because there were no animals to offer. By this, it means the, the tamid offerings, the daily tamid offerings, the lamb in the morning and the lamb in the afternoon. There was a, a, a Roman general who burned to holy Torah scrolls in the temple. An idol on this day, of the 17th of Tammuz, was placed in the temple, and during the siege of the second, uh, the second temple in, in 69 CE, the walls of Jerusalem were breached. And so on this day, 2,000 years ago, thereabouts, the Romans, the Roman legions breached the outer wall of Jerusalem. And so this is the wall, this is the day that is to commemorate the broken tablets and to commemorate the breached walls. And as a result, it is our mission to be the people who are the people who take up the restored tablets, that is Messiah Yeshua, and that we should become repairers of the breach. And throughout this time that I'm talking to you today and throughout the three weeks, I want you to understand your vital role in the cosmos. No one here is a victim. No one here is uh, uh, here by happenstance. Your soul is in your body today because at some point before you were born, you volunteered to come here now Amen. to be a part of what's happening now. You don't remember it. You don't recall it. But something tells you right now that you know it's true. That Hashem brought you here, and if you're watching online, this applies to you too. Just because you're, here, uh, you're not here physically doesn't mean that this doesn't apply to you. Everybody is here for this moment. And even if you're, even if you're a first-time guest, to include those watching online, and maybe later you, you're watching this at another time, not live, but you watch it later, and you think you happened upon this broadcast. Yes, you did. You happened upon it by the hand of God. And as a result, this applies to your soul as well. On the ninth of Av is when other bad things happened. On the, on the ninth of Av, the spies, this is the day the spies returned with the bad report. We can't take the land. Both holy temples were destroyed on the ninth of Av. The first one in 423 BCE and the second one in, in 69 CE. Both temples 
on the same day destroyed. The Battle of Betar was lost in 133 CE. This was the Battle of Betar was uh, the battle that a false messiah named Bar Kokhba led the Second Roman Revolt. And he was proclaimed to be the Messiah by one of the greatest rabbis and sages who has ever lived, apparently, Rabbi Akiva. And the reason that one of the reasons why Rabbi Akiva believed in Bar Kokhba is because his name means son of the son of the star. And it comes from this week's Torah portion, where it talks about in the 24th chapter that Balaam says a star will shoot out from Yaakov. And so Akiva thought that Bar Kokhba was the Mashiach. Somebody sent me a question this week. And they said, just curious, how do you reconcile the fact that Messiah did not, or did, they, they used JC, but anyway, did not fulfill all the, all the prophecies? I presume they mean that there's not world peace. I presume that they mean that he died without gathering all, all the Jews. So I explained to this person about Messiah ben Yosef, and I brought up Bar Kokhba. Because Rabbi Akiva believed in Bar Kokhba. He believed that Bar Kokhba was the Mashiach. And Bar Kokhba was killed in battle. And while Bar Kokhba's body was laying on the battlefield with a spear stuck through it, because the Romans refused to allow us to uh, bury our dead, which is what the fourth blessing in the Birkat Hamazon is all about. The miracles of God have to do with the fact that when we finally were allowed to go bury our dead, they had not decayed. But anyway, while Akiva is being led to his death to become a martyr at the hands of the Romans, seeing out on the battlefield his Mashiach with a spear in his gullet, he went to his death and he sang the Shema, and it was a glorious death that any righteous Jew would want to have to give the sanctification to God's name. But never one time at any point did Akiva ever denounce Bar Kokhba as the Mashiach. Still to this day, if you ask any rabbi who you want to ask, even the real ones. <laughs> Such a joke, isn't it? But I digress. Ask him, did Akiva ever recant? If they're honest, they'll say no, because there's no source for it anywhere. Why? Because the Mashiach is supposed to die. He's supposed to die in battle. He's supposed to die and suffer for the sins of Israel. He's supposed to die and suffer to bring atonement to Israel. It's just that he did die in battle. It wasn't a, it wasn't a physical battle. It was a spiritual battle. Also on this day, the Romans plowed the base of Migdash. Not only did they destroy it the first time, but then they raised it to the ground. In 1290, the Jews were expelled from England. And in 1492, the day the Inquisition began, that day was the 9th of Av, Tisha B'Av. War, War, World War I began in 1914, on the 9th of Av. And historians said that World War I was nothing more, World War II rather, was nothing more than the continuation of World War I. And of course, that led to the Holocaust. Something else happened during this time, although calendar apps and so on, I wasn't able to go back and find the precise dates of these events. 
So I can't tell you on what day of what month they happen, whether what day of Tammuz, what day of Av. But it's interesting to point out that in 325 CE, during the Council of Nicaea, which stripped away from the believers in the Messiah every Jewish concept, the Council of Nicaea gave us Sunday in place of the Sabbath. The Council of Nicaea gave us Easter instead of Pesach. The Council of Nicaea said that you should have nothing to do with Jews from the moment Christianity was born in 325 CE. That was thanks to a pagan and 100% pagan ruler of Rome named Constantine who was only using the, the false religion as, as a means of power play in his empire to try to get the Western Roman Empire united with the Eastern Roman Empire so that he could be ruler. If you look, study Constantine, there's nothing righteous about him in any way, shape, or form. It's the greatest soap opera story you've ever read about how he had people killed and so on. This council took place in May through June of 325. And the first edict was published on the 19th of June in 325 CE. Which means, my friends, that the Council of Nicaea was going on during the three weeks of the 17th of Tammuz to the 9th of Av. This council which led to the official formation of, of, of Christianity known as Catholicism, of which all Christian denominations are a branch. I know here we say things that are uncomfortable, but you could be from some kind of Protestant religion and you think, ah, there's no way I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Catholic, but the reality is that is your root. You're just a branch of that root. And this branch is arguing with this branch, but they're in the same tree. It's nonsense, but it's true. Okay? That is a single... What happened in 325 CE with that reality has been the single most detrimental thing that's happened to the, the Guf HaMashiach, the body of Mashiach today. Because it leads so many people astray, and it creates... it in, 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 engenders an anti-Semitism. We just spoke about it. I spoke about it with the Talmudim this week, and we all talked about the fact that it's sometimes it's much, much easier to bring somebody into the covenant who has never been in church because they don't have anything to undo. And I'm going to move on because y'all don't like that. Lapid Judaism, my friends, is here at this time in history to make tshuva for all of this. It's here at this time to undo what has been done. And uh, as I told you, I've been looking through the timelines and looking through some historical things and and it just so happens, I was looking at our live stream. And uh, the very first time we ever live streamed a service, ever, was on June 7th, 2014. Can you believe that? 
there was at least one person watching, and her name was Hadassah, and she was watching from Jamaica. And I mentioned it on the broadcast. And then a thousand years later, she came, so whatever. <laughs> she was this bitty, and when she came, she was this bitty. But anyway, and then at that time, I gave the vision for Lapid Judaism about why we needed Lapid, what was all about, because we had just come back from the, our trip to Israel, our sixth trip to Israel, which was in uh, February of that year. And it was there on the streets of Yerushalayim that Hashem uh, gave my wife and I this vision about Lapid Judaism. We had just left. It was on a Shabbat. We had just left the great synagogue on our way back to the apartment. We were talking about it and so on. Anyway, so I gave it there, that vision, and that vision was all about the fact of, of, of having something that we could, we could quantify, that we could refer to, that was a, a authentic, an authentic expression of Judaism centered on Messiah Yeshua. I want to read something to you because we live in a very interesting time, and this is, uh, was written um, and put into the Art Scrolls book on Tisha B'Av. And it talks about the three phases. This is the Maharal of Prague. The Maharal of Prague. Um, spoke about the three stages of exile and what would be the last stage for the final redemption. The exciting news, ladies and gentlemen, is that we are in the final stages. Amen. Now, I'm not one to stand up here and tell you that, you know, it's going to happen on May of next year. I'm just... <laughs> Amen. I could. We'd fill the place. This place would be full if I could just have a It's, it's Coming Soon conference and just keep moving the date. Save the date. I just, we wouldn't have enough room. We ought to think about that, actually. No. <laughs> but it's coming soon. And by the way, before I read this, I want to say something before I forget. Because I was davening this morning. I'm excited about the three weeks. I'm also equally excited about the 40 days coming up. I believe with my whole heart that this year, the three weeks coupled with the 40 days is going to be an incredible time of spiritual growth and physical growth for our congregation. I, I'm so excited. Such amazing things have happened since last High Holy Days to now. It's been amazing. It's been a glorious journey. There's been some rough patches to be sure, but... It's all been for the absolute best. And I was davening because I felt like there was a time of, 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 um, of, of growth and teshuva to happen during the three weeks, and then there was going to be another time during the 40 days, like we, I typically ask Hashem to give us the focus. My intention was that I would, the 40 days of teshuva would all be about a teshuva of prayer. But I was conflicted because I thought, I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that, but I'm, I'm also not feeling that. So I was diving in this morning and asking Hashem, Hashem, what do you want me to do during the three weeks and the 40 days? 
In the 40 days, I don't know what he says yet, but I'll tell you something that confirmation came when Amet was talking about our words. And in this Torah portion of Balak, the commentators say that Balak had the sword, and the only sword that Yaakov has is his words. And his words are prayer. And we're, we're praying that Hashem should send us the Mashiach and the third temple. And the third temple is all, of, all about sacrifices and ultimately the sacrifice of prayer. And so what I feel like Hashem is saying, <coughs> and by the way, I should couple this with what Rebbe Tzina said earlier and other times where she said that I feel like Hashem is going to refine our speech during this time. And of course, that's Lashon Harab, but it's also uh, crude speech and coarse gesturing. And I know that <coughs> people have taken the, 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 the verse that has to do with there's life and death, the power of life and death in the tongue. People have taken that, and they've used it and abused it, and the enemy has run it through the mud and made a mockery of it, where we're claiming Cadillacs and we're claiming uh, $3 million homes when we have a $30,000 a year salary. And we're running up our credit card and claiming it paid. That's called theft. Right? We're claiming other people's husbands and other people's wives. It's, 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 we've been soul raped by that false theology. But it doesn't take away the fact that there's power in our words. But see, we got it messed up. We, we thought it was our words. There's power in the Word of God. Amen. When we speak the Word of God, that's where the power is. Not, not our own will, but we speak His will. And so I want to encourage us during this, during this time to refine our speech and speak things that are of Hashem into existence. The Scripture says, where there's no Torah, excuse me, where there's no bread, there's no Torah. If you need an increase of finances, you need a better job or a job or whatever, daven and say, Hashem, I thank you that we're going to find work. Because Hashem knows where there's no bread, there's no Torah. You gotta, if, you can, if you're not eating, it's going to be hard to study Torah. But the main crux is this, that during these three weeks, I want us to really, really work on, and this is all of us, myself included, because life is busy and life is life and we have wives and children and dogs and birds and cats and lawns and neighbors and co-workers and all those kinds of things. And stuff happens unexpectedly. Y'all don't know anything about that, but it does. <laughs> but I want us to all work on davening Shakarit, Minka, and Marif. Or at least Shakarit, Minka, and Bedtime Shema. And I want you to be laser focused. Laser. <laughs> I only say that because your name is Laser. That during these three weeks, that we we just don't miss those times. Because those those prayers that we pray correspond to the temple. You understand. So to bring to bring the temple down, we've got to bring those prayers down. And trust me. You know, my wife, I was going to say, trust me, that as soon as I say this and you go, yep, I'm going to do that, something's going to come up. You're going to set your alarm. Be sure in David Minka this time, and that's when you're going to get that phone call. You know, Rebecca and I have said for years that when people come up to us and say, I love this place, Rabbi, and I'll, I'll never leave, we're like, oh, don't say that. 
<laughs> because everybody who said that is left. Because what happens is you don't realize that the minute you say that, the enemy's like, you say what? <laughs> oh, here it comes. They're gonna, you'll be tested in that. I'll never forget this. My wife won't either. She'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Many, 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 many years ago, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, when we first got started, there was this lady. She came to the service. First time ever she showed up. And, of course, we were very young, and I was very excited. I was happy if we had 10 people there. I was like, oh, yes, we had 11. <laughs> Woo, we're in business now. And anyway, she showed up first-time guest. She came up at the end of the service, walked right up to me. She had tears streaming down her cheeks, big, big tears, falling off her cheeks, and she could barely talk. And she was saying, I just want you to know that this is the most powerful service I've ever been in. It's most incredible from start to finish. I've never felt anything like the Holy Spirit that I've felt right here today. This is amazing. And I just want you to know this has just been awesome, and I look so much forward to being here. And I said... And I'm, I'm supposed to be here, right, she said. And I, and I was like, oh, thank you so much, God. Shem, thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Never saw her again. <laughs> Have no idea. And that's why I say you've got to be that person that has that attitude of sticking with it. You've got to be, and I know I use this a lot, but really it's a great life lesson, but you've got to be that Rocky Balboa. I know, I know. I'm not trying to be funny. I, I'm, I'm trying to use a, a movie that, that most people have seen as an example. It's really a great movie, and I like it. I haven't seen it in a long time. I need to watch it again. But anyway, after the three weeks, there it is. But in the second Balboa movie, Apollo Creed is mad because he didn't take the first one seriously. But now he's just beating Rocky down. And he's so sure towards the end of this fight, Rocky goes down, and he thinks, oh, that's it. I've, I've vindicated myself. This guy's had it. I mean, I've, I've put the beat down on him like nobody's put the beat down. And Rocky gets up. Oh, come on. <laughs> and you see the scene in there where, where, where a Creed just goes, and that was it. As soon as he dropped his head, that was, you knew Rocky was going to win because he refused to go down. And in this time, we have to refuse to go down. Now, so I want you to work on your prayer time and refuse to go down. And listen, I hope everybody's, by the way, I hope, it, I don't, I'm, I'm getting off on a tangent here a little bit, but I hope everybody lasts forever around here. This needs to be a generational congregation and a generational movement to include Sar Shalom Tulsa and other synagogues that will be popping up that are le legitimate Lapid synagogues Amen. with the blue logo. <laughs> but this needs to be generational. You know, I, I want to I be, with God's help, I, I want Mashiach to come this year, you understand, so, okay, fine. But if not, then I want to be that guy who's got the big, long, gray beard like Menashe, <laughs> who's overseeing the bris of Benny's son. <laughs> right? That type of thing. And we need to have that kind of longevity. And my friends, that's how you build relationships. 
We live in a world where the, the average lifespan of a person in any organization, secular or religious, is about four years because we have a microwave life. We want all of our problems to be solved and everything to be perfect for four years. We give it four years. After that, we're out. It didn't used to be like that. It did not used to be like that. It used to be like you were in a community and you were there and your grandfather was there and your dad was there and you were there and it was a... Everybody was handing the baton down to the next generation. Nowadays, we just have congregations popping up everywhere because somebody didn't get enchiladas from somebody who promised them last week, and so they went and started their own congregation. I'm not saying that happened here. But I I forgave them. And that hot sauce, uh, I forgot what it tastes like. Now I'm, I'm not let it go though. Let it go. Let it go. Come on, uh, isn't this amazing? I'm gonna shout, I'm gonna give a shout out to somebody and kind of probably embarrass them a little bit, but I don't mean to. But as I said, I've been going back through my timeline and finding stuff and doing things. But I realized that Alicia back there, who came down here from Canada, <laughs> I didn't realize, Alicia, you and I have been friends on Facebook since 2014. Yeah. And uh, I was like, say what? So, you, yeah, come on. give. <laughs> That's that type of longevity is so beautiful. And now she's here physically in the congregation. Look at that. Anyway, I'm going to cover, I'm like, am I at my notes yet? No. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the Maharal of Prague said there was, the initial phase of exile was confinement to ghettos, oppression, rights taken away, anti-Semitism. The second phase, anti-Semitism, he says, increased and the violence of our enemies increased. We went from just being confined to ghettos to now being thrown into gas chambers. But this is what he writes, that the, the most terrible exile is yet to come. The third stage of exile is the most terrifying of all. He says this is what it is. And by the way, this third stage, he says, is going to happen at the dawn of redemption. When arise and shine, for your light has come. This is that most terrifying exile that's going to happen. And here it is. It's the Holocaust, he writes. It's the Holocaust of love. He says, whereas in earlier times, the Jew was despised, vilified, ostracized, at the end of day, as the end of days draws near, the Jew will be warmly welcomed and embraced. Whereas in earlier times, intermarriage was unthinkable and unspeakable, the Jew will now be encouraged to assimilate. He says this insidious holocaust of love will far, be far more successful than the holocaust of hate. And assimilation and intermarriage will decimate the ranks of the Jewish nation like no other scourge. Now he says there will be a handful of people who will be instinctively drawn back to the 
the authentic wellspring of Torah, just as an infant instinctively seeks nourishment at its mother's breast, this pure, this pure return movement will bring an end to the darkness of exile and herald, by the way, another word for herald in the Midrash is lapid, lapid the dawn of redemption. See, what Lapid Judaism is all about is resisting assimilation. Like, like Moshe Timmons wrote, is Moshe here? Or is he back? He's probably back with the kids. Moshe Timmons wrote on Facebook and just got slaughtered for it about a year or two ago. Hillel's going to remember this. He said, why is it that the one new man looks so much like a goy? Why is it that the one new man has to look like a Gentile? It's because of the Holocaust of love. It's because of assimilation. What we have to understand is that we need to prepare now the field of redemption. It's now time to prepare the field. I don't want us to go through these three weeks and just be focused on the fact that we can't take a haircut or that we can't listen to music, or as time goes on, we're not able to eat meat or drink wine during the nine days or what have you, do laundry. See, it'd be real easy to focus on all those things. And I'll never forget the conversation I had with the, a, a, an Orthodox rabbi in Dallas. I won't mention his name because, you know, it's not about that. It doesn't even matter colleague friend of mine and so I went to his office because I, I called him and, and I'd come across something that in Jewish literature talked about the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law and how they work in concert and I wanted his opinion on it because that gets messed up in other sections you know what I'm talking about so he said I'll tell you what instead of us talking on the phone why don't you come to my office so I drove over there and we sat in his office for a couple of hours and it was during these nine it was during the three weeks we had this conversation. And he said, I'll give you an example of the spirit versus the letter. He said, you have all these people, and he's talking about his community, and they're focused on everything. They're not eating this, not drinking that, not, you know, uh, not laundering this, and not getting haircuts, and all this kind of stuff. He said, that's the letter of the law, and that's great. But every single one of them, he said, there's backbiting going on, and Lashon Hurrah going on. He said, they've missed the spirit of the law. And for the very reason that the temple is destroyed to begin with. So the, the worst thing we could do is get focused on all the halakha and forget about the repair. It'd be like, it would be like looking at the broken wall and lamenting that it's broken without doing anything to fix it. It doesn't mean that you let go of the halakha. See, that's for the Western mind. You can, you, 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 only, you can only hold one, not the other. My friend, you have two hands. This is like Nehemiah. They said they, they, had a, they had the brick in one hand. Read the scripture. They had the brick in one hand and the sword in the other. And we have to understand that we are building up the walls that have been broken down. So we're keeping the halakha while not forgetting about what's going on. And the worst thing that we, the worst betrayal we could do is to be not shaving our or, well, shaving our, or, excuse me, cutting our heads or ladies shaving your legs or whatever, and at the same time, be speaking Lashon Hara. 
At the same time, not davening. At the same time, not thinking about the, the third temple. At the same time, not, not, not longing for Mashiach. At the same time, thinking that this stuff happened to somebody else. The fact of the matter is, is that all of our souls were together at the same time at Ganadin. And all of our souls were present at Mount Sinai. Which means that we all participated in that whole ruckus. We all have a part to pay. We have a responsibility to play in all of it. And we have to take ownership for that. Jeremiah 4.3, For Hashem speaks thus to the men of Judea and Jerusalem, Plow over your fallow fields and don't plant your seeds along thorns. The comment to this says, the prophet was exhorting his people to learn a lesson from the farmers who prepare their fields in the summer by digging deep into the earth to rip out the roots of the weeds that might ruin the crop in the winter. Similar, the people of Israel must dwell, delve deep into their hearts to uproot the flawed character traits that cause their evil. My friends, winter is coming. And now is the time to build. It says, he who weakens his grip, or excuse me, Rav Saeed Gaon said this, Israel, the Torah, and the Holy One, blessed be he, are one. Someone asked me not too long ago, they said, do you believe in the divine Messiah? I said, well, do you believe the Messiah is the Torah made flesh? What does that have to do with it? Well, do you, well let me ask you this. Do you believe the Torah is divine? Well, 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 do you believe the Torah and God are the same? This is one of those uh, hyper-Orthodox Messianics. I don't know how else to describe them. They're like Messianics who got closer to Judaism, and now they're like in, you know, super-Orthodox. And they didn't know. And I said, well, let me tell you what Judaism teaches. Judaism teaches that the Torah is eternal, divine, and one with Hashem. In fact, the Torah is God. And if you believe in the Messiah, which allegedly you do, then I'm assuming you believe in the book of John. Otherwise, how would you believe in the Messiah? And the book of John says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So if you believe that the Messiah is the Messiah Yeshua, which I assume you do, then I, you must believe that because it's written there unless you want to X this, you're just kind of Xing out the ones you don't like which people do that all the time. I want the fries. No, no thanks. I don't, want any, I don't want any broccoli. We carry the buffet over into our newfound faith. Anyway, and so it says that he's the word made flesh. Well, if he's the word made flesh, then... Because it says here, he who wickens his grip on the Torah becomes ever more alienated from himself. And because the Torah and God are one, <clears throat> the Jew who grows distant from himself and the Torah grows distant and removed from God. And God grows distant from him. So this is a whole new level because, see, God and the Torah are one, so therefore if we weaken our Torah observance, then we grow distant from him, but then we also grow distant from ourselves because we were made with the Torah. Consider the rock from which you were hewn. And, and in this book, the Art Scroll book, it actually says, all nature bows before the Torah. All nature 
bows before the Torah. There's more that can be said. There's a whole slew of things that can be said about this parashah and Eka. Trials bring teshuva. Our tears bring teshuva. Hypocrisy is the symptom of sin, of evil, the main symptom of evil. I want to share this, this one, though, with you, if I can. We have, how much time we got? Oh, we got time. We're good. Anybody got any plans today? <laughs> Careful how you answer that. One day the whole wide world will sing the song of Shabbos, by the way. I want to just share um, this statement in the Midrash Rabbah. It says, You champion my cause, O Lord. You redeem my life. You have seen, Adonai, the injustice I suffered. Judge my cause. Says once a certain Jew passed before the Emperor Hadrian, and Hadrian greeted him. Hadrian said to him, Who are you? He answered, A Jew. And the, the, the Emperor said to him, Does a mere Jew pass before Hadrian and greet him? And he had the man executed. Now another Jew passed by Hadrian, and aware of his disposition, did not greet him. And Hadrian said, who are you? And he said, I'm a Jew. And the, he says, a Jew passed before Hadrian and dares not greet him? And he had him edu- ex- executed. Hadrian's advisors said to him, we don't understand the actions you've taken. The one who greeted you was executed, and the one who did not greet you was executed. Sounds like our political world today, doesn't it? If you say, I'm sorry, if you don't say you're sorry, then you're taking a task. If you say you're sorry, you're taking a task. That's a, the symptom of evil, my friends. No principles is a simple symptom of evil. Hypocrisy is a symptom of evil. Hadrian reported to his counselors, and do you wish to advise me on how I should kill my enemies? See, the bottom line is Hadrian just hated Jews. So no matter what they did, he was going to hate them. Even if they did what he said, he's still going to hate them. And it says, And the Holy Spirit cried out and said, You have seen, Adonai, the iniquities I suffer. You have seen all their vengeance, all their designs. The footnote says, The Holy Spirit, quote, The Holy Spirit cried out for God to eliminate Israel's tormentors and sufferings and said beseechingly that he should have mercy and shower them with good. Wait, the Holy Spirit is God, right? But the Holy Spirit is praying to God that he should... It says here, this Holy Spirit said, Hashem, the injustices I suffer. During these three weeks, I want us to remember what I said last week. No big decisions. Be laser-focused on not committing... Lashon Hara, and stay unified. I also want us, I want to say one final thing before we conclude today. I want us to be in prayer about something during these three weeks. In addition to the fact that we, I'm asking us all to really focus on our prayer life during these three weeks, 
But I have three things for which I want you to pray. And when I say pray, I don't mean some people say, I'm going to pray for you, brother. And then what that means is, not really, I'm just saying that. I don't know, none of us do that, but on occasion that happens. By pray, I mean really pray. And here's the three things I'd like to present to you to please join us in prayer for. First and foremost, I want us to pray for Saginaw. I want us to pray for souls in Saginaw, for divine sparks in Saginaw. We have a beautiful city here with beautiful people, and there are hundreds, there are thousands of homes which represent thousands of families. And I want us during these three weeks to really beseech Hashem to bring forth the divine holy sparks in Saginaw. I know there's Fort Worth, and there's Dallas, and there's Bedford, and there's Grapevine, and there's, obviously, yeah, bring them all. But our synagogue is in Saginaw. And I believe that Hashem is encouraging us to really pray for our city. That it should be a righteous place. That people should look at Saginaw and say, where's Saginaw? Anything good come from Saginaw? And yet that's the headquarters of Lapid Judaism. Secondly, I want us to pray for the mikvah. Shlomo came to my office yesterday because nothing has been done on the mikvah at all. It's been caught up in a quagmire of design from the, out between the architects and the pool company. It's just going back and forth, trying to find the right plan, trying to make things work. It's just, that's just the way things are sometimes. But this last week, after having a conversation with the pool company, who are awesome people, they came out and started drawing the lines in the backyard of the mikvah house where the pool was going to be excavated. And Shlomo came to my office and he said, what happened? And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, something happened today. Something happened. So I want you to pray for the mikvah, that Hashem should put together the exact perfect design, that all of the permitting that's going to be requested here very in the next few weeks is going to come to pass. There's a meeting on Monday between the architects and the pool company to try to work out some issues. We need to pray for that. And pray that this construction begins speedily and soon and that it's completed in God's perfect timing and that there's no issues. Because I'm telling you right now, the mikvah is an amazingly spiritual, it's be the first ever of its kind for a, a community that believes in the Messiah, Yeshua. And thirdly, I want us to daven for the coming of Mashiach. And I don't mean like, oh Lord, please. No, I'm talking like really daven for the coming of Mashiach. Because a lot of times we want God to, to send the Mashiach. We want the Messianic age to come, but we're not really praying for it. And on these, in these three weeks as we're approaching Rosh Hashanah, which is the day in, in which the resurrection of the dead is to occur, we need to ask Hashem to engender in our souls and our hearts a longing for the coming of the Mashiach. Amen. May it be soon in our time. And let's say together, Baruch Haba Bashem Adonai. Amen.